Order members, could I ask members to take their seats? The Assembly is resumed and it's now time for questions to the Minister for Education and I call Kelly Armstrong. Question number one. Like the member for her question, the transformation programme was an innovative approach to policy and operational review developed by departmental officials in April 2018. It was established in anticipation of the return of the Assembly and for discussion with an incoming Minister. Work across a number of areas was progressed to good effect until the point uh, when I had to divert departmental staff resources to deal with the significant work associated with the pandemic. Following advice from officials, I took the decision to formally close the programme in March 2021 on the basis that there is no guaranteed funding stream for 2021-22 or beyond. However, I would like to make it clear that this in no way means an end to transformation activity within the Department. Formal closure of the programme only means that further elements of transformation will be delivered using a different approach. I am keen that policy reform and service delivery improvements continue to be made uh, wherever there is clear and evident need. Some aspects of the transformation programme have already been delivered and others are continuing as planned, such as the work on an approach to a 14 to 19 education uh, and training strategy. Other transformative work that is ongoing includes the scoping of proposals to provide flexibility for school starting age, work to address teacher concerns about workloads and accountability, and a programme of improvement in the Education Authority relating to services for children and young people with special educational needs. Finally, the work of the panel on underachievement and the forthcoming independent review on, of education are further opportunities to transform our system and to improve outcomes for children and young people. I repeat that the closure of the programme does not mean the end of transformation. Rather, it will be delivered in a different manner. I call Kelly Armstrong for a supplementary. Thank you, Deputy Principal, and thank you, Minister. Minister, given the increasing pressures that schools are facing because of their um, budgets, um, can you outline to us the common funding formula is a key part of that? Um, has that been ceased? And if not, where is it being dealt with and where can we access the information on an update on that? Well, in terms of the common funding formula, I, I take the point that uh, the member has made. There has been a summary of the proposals as being prepared by officials in, in relation to that. I think the problem we tend to do with common funding formula is that unless there is a commitment from the executive or others to provide an additional level of funding, then you get into a level of, of fight over whether you're taking it out of one school and putting it into another. So I think ideally we should get a, a situation where there is a greater level of funding across the board. But those, uh, the detail of that has been drawn together by officials. And I know, for example, there would be concerns in some schools, for example, those operating on split sites, uh, as to whether there's adequate funding. And I visited one of those schools uh, yesterday. Um, so from that point of view, uh, it is actually about assessing what information then has been gathered together with that, both in terms of from a short-term point of view, but obviously the wider review of education as a whole may well have also comments to make directly on how we apply funding to try to make sure that we get the best possible uh, results for any level of investment that is, that is put in. And I call Sinead Ennis. Deputy Speaker, and like uh, Kelly Armstrong, I too want to, to ask about the common um, funding scheme because this is import an important piece of work, uh, particularly in the context of the recent audit uh, uh, office report uh, on special educational um, expenditure um, targeting disadvantage. So, can I ask the minister when um, he expects this review <clears throat> to be concluded um, and when he expects to be able to uh, present the final report on the common funding um, scheme? 
Well, there will be elements as well in terms of what, what resources are applied that will come, uh, and particularly you've mentioned there are a number of strands to this uh, in terms of SEN. Obviously, as part of that, there's a review going, undergoing into the EA, which also, I suppose, is looking at where SEN funding um, is applied. It is also the case that I would anticipate uh, that roughly by the end of this month there will be the final report of the Educational Panel under Achievement. I think it will also look at uh, issues around funding as, along with the range of, of, of other aspects. Uh, you know, again, I think we want to make sure that there is the best possible delivery of that. The problem, I suppose, when you come to any form of um, reassessment of where common funding goes, everybody assumes that their either school or sector is hard done by and will benefit from this. The issue will, will be that unless there's additional resources provided to schools as a whole, it will be a question of gains for some and losses for others. Now, if there's an equitable basis in which that can be justified, but I think, it, you know, I think we want to avoid the situation of simply schools fighting with themselves as to whether they've been equitably treated or not. I call Rachel Woods. Mr Deputy Speaker, and the Minister has outlined another a number of transformative actions that the Department has undertaken and mentions funding. And in light of this, and in light of the recent Audit Office report, which found that Education Department is unable to demonstrate the effectiveness of its two main funding interventions, accounting for $102 million per year to address educational attainment of pupils from socially distanced backgrounds, can I ask the Minister why his Department has failed to introduce adequate arrangements to assess the effectiveness in the interventions and whether they're contributing to achieving the required outcomes? Well, again, the member, because uh, there's obviously a, a link between particularly social deprivation and education underachievement, I believe that will be one of the, the topics which will be covered fairly clearly, fairly shortly in terms of the panel report. That would be a report in terms of the way of procedure I'll present to the Assembly. It has got to be uh, adopted by the executive first in relation to it. Look, there's no doubt that I think uh, the direct sort of uh, linear um, assessment of the particular interventions is difficult sometimes to ascribe to individual side of things. There's no doubt that in terms of targeting social need, in terms of, for example, extended schools, have played a significant role in helping to support pupils who are socially deprived. The extent to which uh, there is hypothecation of that I think it's sometimes difficult to do, and I think we will look to the recommendations also, I think, from the uh, Educational Underachievement Panel. I think we need to balance out what is appropriate in terms of ensuring that there's proper spending of that money, while also not creating too much of an additional administrative burden on schools themselves. Uh, and it's about trying to find an appropriate balance between the two. Uh, I should have advised members earlier that question eight has been withdrawn, uh, and I call Thomas Buchanan. Question number two, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, thank you. Thank you, the member, and thank Deputy Speaker. The Department is, is continuing to work closely with the six school principals and their teams uh, to build on the culture of sharing in OMA, albeit within a challenging environment as schools continue to recover and adapt to ongoing disruption of the COVID-19 pandemic. The previous procurement completion competition for the final phase of construction which was to build five post-primary schools and shared facilities, has been formally closed and the Department is working to progress the campus to the next stage in the procurement process with a revised uh, strategy. Campus construction is currently planned to complete in 2025. The Struhl site has been cleared and uh, constructed to, find, uh, to formation level in preparation for moving to the next stage of construction. Liaison is going on with uh, Fermanagh and Oman District Council 
in relation to the Department's uh, planning application for the proposed development works uh, on the Gorchin Road and the Mountjoy Road. Work is currently ongoing to reconfirm the previously agreed memorandum of, of agreement with the Education Authority and trustee bodies uh, of the schools moving to the Stroud campus. The document sets out the proposed arrangements uh, for the occupation, governance and management of the campus, in particular the shared facilities and delivery of the educational benefits. Given the scale of the investment, the educational benefits are vital to the success of the campus. A long-term benefits realisation plan has been agreed with the schools. A project plan and business case detailing the work re uh, required to uh, realise the educational benefits and pilot various shared education initiatives prior to the go-live is currently under development by the Education Authority, which is managing the development of the education model for the campus. The Vacated Sites Working Group is considering how best to plan for and manage the future use and or the disposal of the existing sites following relocation to the campus and will continue, uh, will contribute to Fermanagh and Oma District Council's local government development plan and the Oma Opportunity Sites Task Force. I call Thomas Buchanan for supplementary. Thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker, and thank you, Minister, for the update. The Minister will know this is ongoing for some uh, considerable time and would, we would be keen to see it brought uh, forward, uh, uh, perhaps at a quicker pace, and get the diggers on site to get this brought to uh, completion. Minister, in your response, you did mention the vacated sites. Can you give us some indication as to what discussion there has been ongoing or outline any plans that there are for the vacated sites of the other schools whenever the uh, campus is completed? For his question and comments, uh, obviously in terms of the situation of what is happening on, on site, I think we're all very keen, and I think the executive as a whole shares the keenness to see action being taken on the sites. Obviously, we're talking about a very large amount of public money, and that, by its nature, means that things do not move maybe as quickly as hopefully they, they should do. Um, in terms of the vacated sites, obviously, as the members are aware, uh, as well as um, Arvely Special School, there are five post-primary uh, schools relocating to the campus. Two of these sites are owned by the Education Authority. Three are owned by individual trustee organisations. Ultimately, in terms of the, for these sites, owners' uh, sites to decide on it uh, and dispose of their respective sites. In recognition of the significance of the vacated uh, school sites to Oma Town, the department established a vacated sites working group in November 2016. The working group comprises members representing the site owners, Fermanagh and Oman District Council and representation from relevant government departments. The working group is actively considering how best to plan for and manage the future use of or disposal of the existing school sites and the site-specific disposal strategies have been prepared as a first step in determining plans for their future use. These plans will always be developed in line with and feed into the Fermanagh and Oman District Council Local Development Plan and the Oma Opportunity Sites Task Force. So I think there's a strong level of local awareness and a need for local buy-in um, as we move forward in terms of vacated sites. I call Nicola Brogan. Garby, I've got a last hand, Corla, and I thank the Minister for his answer and indeed for his update on the Stroud Educational Campus. I'd like to take this opportunity to once again press the Minister to ensure that it is moved forward at a quick pace. Um, can the Minister tell me, has there been any delays to the Stroud Educational Campus because of COVID? And if so, um, will those delays have an impact on the budget to deliver the project? Well, I think uh, there has been obviously some level of impact in terms of the budget probably actually caused by the, the, the general length of time that has been uh, put in place as a result of this. 
That, though, I think largely came from the issues around um, the uh, around sort of uh, seeking, if you like, um, the procurement side of things. COVID itself, I don't think, has created much of a direct disruption. So, based on current position, the completion is still scheduled for 2025. Uh, obviously, the the potential issue still to be got across is successful appointment of a main works contractor. But as we move ahead, indeed, I think the uh, I think while in smaller projects there was a level of disruption through COVID that was created, particularly if we go back about a year when people were completely off-site, actually the construction industry has actually worked well and uh, developed things well in a range of uh, sites across the school sector and effectively made up time. And because we, we were in a situation that in terms of the work, um, the issue from, from that point of view has not been particularly I think, disrupted by, by COVID. I call Rosemary Barton. Minister, I thank you for your answer so far, and also um, thank you that there are also delighted that there's no more, doesn't seem to be any more hiccups, and you know, the expected completion date will be 2025. Can you give me an update on the expenditure so far for Struil Campus and the expenditure completion figure? Yeah, I think there's some information here. If you give me a moment in that regard. So to date, actually, the amount of money that has been spent so far has been an investment of about £45 million in Struhl. The investment delivered the design, construction and fit-out of the Arvalee School and Resource Centre, the Strathroy Link Road to improve uh, traffic flow to and from the campus, and the completed site preparation work. And obviously, given the scale of the, the works, that was obviously a considerable job. It also has delivered the designs for the core schools and the shared facilities. It's estimated that uh, they will require uh, a further 181 million of construction costs. This includes the cost of construction, including, I suppose, a, a contingency for construction price inflation, which may or may not be necessary, but it's better to say the over budget in relation to that risk and optimism bias, staffing the programme, indeed, and other running costs. Uh, Her Majesty's Treasury has confirmed the flexibility of Fresh Start Agreement capital funding for the programme enabling access up until the, uh, until the projected programme end date in 2025. And could we have Sinead McLaughlin onto our screens, please? And I call Sinead McLaughlin. Question uh, number three, Deputy Speaker, thank you. Thank the member for her question. Uh, there are no plans to formally review the initial stages of the SEN assessment processes. Uh, in terms of appeals, if parents are unhappy with the school's internal processes regarding SEN, an option open to them is to contact the Dispute Avoidance and Resolution Service, also known as, as DARS. DARS is an independent uh, and confidential service which provides an opportunity for parents to discuss areas of disagreement with schools and or the Education Authority regarding SEN provision for their child. This has been delivered by uh, Global Mediation Services since September uh, 2019. The aim is for parties to informally resolve differences about non-appealable matters, removing the need for a parent, um, if it can be resolved, to go to the Special Educational Needs and Disability Tribunal, also known as SENDIST. 
And I call Thank you, Minister, for your answer so far. We've heard from the Children's Law Centre that 97% of the special educational needs appeal um, have actually been successful, which has led to claims that there is disability discrimination uh, within the system. Minister, this is really serious issue. Can you outline what action you're taking to resolve this? As many children with real genuine uh, need are routinely being rejected by the actual assessment process. Uh, I think in many ways also the level of success of the appeals process also shows that that, that process itself works. What we are doing, and indeed, uh, I suppose in a couple of aspects of this, there is a review that is ongoing, a quintennial review going on to the EA, particularly in note, and indeed we've accepted uh, as a department all of the, uh, to progress all of the issues that have been raised by the recent audit uh, report. Uh, and as part of that review, we'll also then be looking at, at how EA is dealing directly with uh, special educational needs. It is also the case that I think in terms of early identification, uh, there has been money allocated um, to be able to implement from September onwards the SEND legislation which was passed through this House uh, a while ago. That will be both in terms of and the consultation of that has now uh, completed um, and as part of that that will also be dealing with uh, both what the implementation is and the code of practice. And I believe that in that framework what should be the case is that there is earlier identification uh, and indeed, therefore, a better identification of those children with, with SEND needs. And I believe that in terms of working through the process, that will be a, a very important step uh, as we move ahead. And uh, in terms of the implementation of that on an ongoing basis, there's been more than £20 million has been ring-fenced directly into the budget this year uh, to try to make sure that that, that is something which, which delivers. That's despite the fact that overall it's been relatively close to a flatline budget, uh, so we've had to find resources from within the department to be able to fund that. I call Chris Little. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Can I follow up that question by just asking the Education Minister how seriously he is taking the Children's Law Centre assertion that the failings in our special educational needs system in Northern Ireland amounts to institutional discrimination against children with disabilities? What responsibility he takes for that and what specific actions are being taken to address that? Well, as members have been indicated, I don't except I think, I think the, the language can be thrown about if we talk about institutional discrimination. I don't think that that is something because I think that I would necessarily accept because I think it, it does pertain a certain level of, of motivation to those directly involved. What we are seeing in, in relation to this, first of all, that there is a review of the EA, but particularly focusing in on the same delivery. There is action being taken in terms of the, the implementation uh, of the, um, the process in terms of dealing with, with special needs, which we believe will, will uh, lead to a level of step change in what can be provided. And also, directly speaking, there is ongoing work with the EA uh, to try to make sure that there are reductions in terms of the statutory assessment process to make sure those are delivered in time. So this is an, an issue which is being talked about and uh, worked on very seriously. Uh, I am loath to see particular labels put on that, which I think would be unfair to those who have been involved in trying to deliver for special educational needs. I call Mervyn's story. Thank you, Deputy Principal Speaker. I'd like to thank the Minister for his answers and, and for the work that he has endeavoured to carry out in relation to the needs of uh, children with special needs. Could he, because there has been success in re the reduction in regards to the delay, but what specific actions have been taken to ensure that the assessment process has improved so that the ultimate outcome is uh, child centred and parent led? 
Well, from that, that point of view, I think the improvement plan that was put in place by EA has delivered a number of key improvements in terms of both reducing the number of children waiting longer than 26 weeks for completion of the statutory assessment and also, importantly, targeting the children uh, who have been waiting the longest. As indicated, I think the new SEM framework will, amongst other things, aim to reduce the timescales associated with the statutory process and improve cooperation between EA and the Health Trust. And I think it is important to note, um, while it's, it is what should be achieved but is being achieved, the EA report on the number of children waiting over the statutory target of 26 weeks, uh, as of the 31st of March of this year, has now been reduced to zero. And it's important that that is maintained and that no child is going above uh, what the statutory aim is in terms of, in terms of timing. I call Sinead Ennis. Question. In line with my department's statutory duties, a range of bespoke sector-specific investments is provided to support the development of Irish medium education. This includes annual funding to CNG, specific support to Irish medium units, funding to the Education Authority and CCA, and early years funding to Ultram, which has developed a range of preschool resources aimed at helping immersion learning. My department seeks to respond positively to parental demand for Irish medium provision and works to meet the needs of the sector, for example, in considering home to school transport requirements and school requests for temporary variations to their approved number. At the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, I set up a continuity of learning programme with a focus of supporting pupil learning. Recognising the specific needs of the sector, uh, I included a separate work stream for Irish medium education. Much valuable work has come out of that work stream. I am also aware of the concerns of, about loss of language learning due to the pandemic and the shortage of substitute teachers. And my officials continue to work with the relevant partner bodies to seek opportunities to mitigate and resolve such concerns. Specifically as regards investment in the South Down area, two additional classrooms have been uh, provided at Bunskul at Vana Buraha in December 2019, and a minor work scheme is currently underway to improve um, access control and reduce uh, standing water in the play area at uh, Gilskill uh, Naman. I call Sinead Ennis for supplementary. And I thank the Minister for his response there. Um, obviously supporting and investing in Irish medium ed education in South Down, but also in Bunskull and Newry, which caters for children from South Down, is a, an immediate and direct responsibility of the Department for Education. So in that context, and I know you mentioned Gail Skull Naman, will the Minister give a commitment to visit Gail Skull Naman again, but also Bunskull and Newry? Um, and see the, the excellent work that's being done, the action, excellent education uh, that's being provided, and also to see what investment, be that capital or otherwise, that those schools need to keep that uh, high educational standard going. I've been happy to receive various invitations at times from different schools, and where possible, I've, I've accommodated those. I'd be more than happy if either the member or that the school puts a formal request into the department to, to visit those. I know, um, for example, I've visited a number of Irish medium schools. Uh, in particular, I think with uh, her colleague Karen Mullen in the, the North West, uh, did a, visited a number of schools. So I'll be happy to, to visit those schools to be able to see directly at first hand what the issues are. I call Justin McNulty. Minister, I applaud you on your attempts to uh, pronounce as Gilliga, words as Gilliga, so well done on that. And just following up on the Bunskill on your issue, can you tell me where the new build plans are at for Bunskill on your? 
Well, I'll thank the member for his compliments on my linguistic uh, skills in, in relation to that. Uh, in terms of the uh, Bunch School uh, Anur, I'm at this point, Anur, probably at this point I've then blown whatever credibility I had in terms of application. Um, it wasn't, while it applied, I know, in terms of the SEP programme, it, at that stage it wasn't ranked um, highly enough. So there aren't direct plans at present for uh, a redevelopment of the school. However, the department has under, undertook to uh, a further site search on behalf, behalf of the school to look at its long-term planning and potential future, because it's not just about where we're going to be in two or three years' time. It's the longer position. Uh, so from that point of view, it is also the case that while... There's no direct, uh, until it is approved for a scheme, no capital has been directly allocated to the redevelopment of the school, but where required, minor works will continue to be undertaken at the existing site. Moving on, Uncle William Humphrey. Five. The business case for the Seaview Primary School um, major works project is still in preparation. This will examine a number of options for the location of school, including the option of a rebuild on the existing site. The building case is expected to be completed by late summer of this year, uh, or should the business case. Until the business case has been finalised, uh, we can't um, determine the preferred option for the, the major capital project, but it is something that is, should be relatively imminent in terms of the situation in the summer. Call William Humphrey. Speaker, I'm disappointed to hear from the Minister that the business case is not yet finalised. Um, I fully understand the need for a um, special, new special needs school in North Belfast and very much support that. Um, I'm disappointed that the former Castle High School site has been chosen as a temporary site for the, the, the new school, given that the Minister visited the school last year. The, I think he's aware of the interest from the governors, the principal and myself in, in the school potentially lo relocating there. Can I ask the Minister to commit to ensuring that the business case is completed by the end of the summer, because this school has waited for some eight years? And will he commit to also meet with the principal and the Governor's again with me to give that reassurance because there is considerable annoyance uh, both in the, the members professional teachers and in the Governor's. I, I understand that. Yes, I will be, uh, do all that I can to ensure that the business case is, is completed within that time. I'm also happy to meet with the Governor's and indeed Principal uh, of the school. I should also indicate that uh, while the Fort William site I think has been, um, is being used, I think, or going to be used from September as a temporary situation as regards Special needs. That I don't believe is a long-term viable solution. I think that that site, which may well be one of the, the most likely sites in terms of an option for Seaview Primary, it shouldn't be something which is in any way knocked out of the picture because of the temporary arrangements in terms of uh, the special needs situation. And indeed, it is also the case for the, the broader provision uh, within Belfast of special needs education that we need um, much more longer-term plans. And I think that this is a the situation as regards Fort William is very much simply a temporary fix for that and should not in any way prejudice the option for Seaview. I call Steve Aiken. May I thank the Minister for his answers uh, so far. Uh, declaration of interest, I am of course a member of the Board of Governors of the excellent primary school Kilbride uh, Central Primary School up in my own constituency. Uh, one of the issues that we have had as a Board of Governors Minister, and again we have probably alluded to is this as well, has been the fact that much of the work that we are doing seems to be repeated, even though we already have plans and future plans for what we are planning to do. Could the Minister commit to actually getting the Education Authority and the various other organisations to rationalise what they are trying to do, rather than wasting government money with a set, doing second and third sets of plans? That's beyond the original question, but the Minister may choose to okay. answer. Well, 
Yes, I, I would certainly encourage them not to waste government money. I think uh, that would be a demarcation dispute because that's generally speaking my role in that regard. But in all seriousness, no, I, I will work in that, that particular case and I will get, will get any more information directly to the, the member. Philip McGuigan is not in his place. John Blair is not in his place. I call Harry Harvey. Mr. Speaker, I'll be question number nine. Thank you. Nine. We're working our way very much heavily through the, the folder today. The Education Authority has advised through the Independent Counselling Service for Schools ICC, uh, ICSS post-primary aged young people from mainstream special schools in the oldest provisions can access school counselling if required. Although school staff had anticipated an overwhelming increase in demand for counselling service, this has not been evidenced so far in the number of referrals that have been received. Since young people have been returning to, uh, returned to online learning, the demand for counselling has increased, but this has not currently overwhelmed the service. The ICSS providers are managing the pressures by putting additional resources into schools where demand has increased using some of the allocation for counselling sessions for July uh, and August 2021 to do so. I call Harry Harvey. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Thank you, Minister, for your response so far. Could the Minister advise the House if his department has plans to enhance teacher training in relation to mental health issues among students? Well, look, we, we give a level of flexibility for teacher training, and I think we've indicated that, particularly as regards uh, special needs, as regards trauma-informed, but that we're encouraging uh, that level of, of development. Uh, I think from that point of view, it is also about ensuring, as we are uh, working alongside the Department of Health, that there is additional support has been put in place this year and will continue to be for an emotional health and wellbeing framework, which in terms of resources should mean that there are greater opportunities for schools in terms of counselling. Also particularly, I suppose, given the circumstances that, that while a lot of focus at times has been on the post-primary sector, at times from a primary sector point of view, there's maybe been a feeling that there's not been enough resources, and part of that will be we'll have the, uh, the pilot scheme on primary school counselling as well. I'm afraid that's our time that has been allocated for listed questions, and we now move on to topical questions. Pat Sheen is not in his place. Uh, could we have Cara Hunter onto our screens, please? I call Cara Hunter. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Um, my, and thank you, Minister, for your answer so far. I know that mental health is an issue that both um, yourself and Minister Swan have a keen interest in. My question refers to what conversations or steps you're taking um, to ensure that both staff and students have a good, easy, accessible um, access to support for mental health. Well, look, I think there's two aspects. I thank the member. I thank the member at least for not playing truant uh, today in, in relation to that and for her question. Um, look, I think there are two strands to this. As part of that, we're working together. This year, we've, we've got which applies, and I think sometimes staff can maybe be a little bit the overlooked um, situation. So we're applying at two levels: the uh, emotional health and well-being framework, which is directly baselined in, which has both. Uh, education and the health component to that. To some extent, that will be, in many ways, I suppose, as we move ahead, trying, trialling out a range of supports that are there, because I don't think anybody would pretend that, that everything will be got right from, from day one, and to some extent it will see what level of adjustment is there. But the importance of that will be that there will be a, a present six and a half million that will be directly mainstreamed into budget. But additionally, it's also the case that as part of the COVID recovery, uh, we, um, there's an aim to be 
uh, an additional sort of COVID recovery fund of about five million that will directly target in on emotional health and, and well-being. And there will be a level of mixed economy because to some extent what is provided in terms of the framework to a certain extent will be top-down. The money that will be allocated in terms of the COVID recovery will be an allocation per head uh, to schools. And there will be a high level of flexibility that will be given to schools to how they spend that. Uh, and we've indicated that, for example, while quite often the focus will be on the pupils, if there are individual actions that a school feels will be beneficial to its staff, or indeed to help create the environment, that that level of flexibility is given to those on the ground to be able to decide where they believe the best needs are in relation to that. I call Cara Hunter for supplementary. Uh, thank you, Mr. Deputy Speaker. I'd like to thank the Minister for his positive answer, and I think schools will welcome that aspect of flexibility. Um, just to follow up on that, I know you've taken some steps already around tackling cyberbullying, which is a massive issue, and we know it can have a detrimental impact on young people and their overall well-being. But can I ask what further steps you're taking to either stop it or support uh, students and families experiencing it? Thank you. Well, directly speaking, as, as a member will also be aware that from September, again, something that was passed some time ago, we've worked with the trade unions on this, the implementation of the anti-bullying legislation will take place from the, the 1st of September. Now, that will have a particular focus on what's directly happening in schools. And I know that part of the problem we now face and have faced for a number of years in terms of issues around bullying, around um, trolling, around a range of, of things go beyond simply what has happened within the, the purview of the school, within the, the classroom. We'll be working and continue to work on a cross-party or cross-departmental basis, particularly in terms of, of e-safety. It's noticeable, I think, that during the, uh, we were able to roll out and got support in terms of, for instance, uh, one of the apps that was available during the COVID side of things. So uh, we will work with others to try and make what impact we can. Uh, I think for all of us, we realise there's a realisation of the enormity that is out there in terms of e-safety and e-bullying, uh, which, which means that in terms of finding solutions at times, will be a lot more difficult to find something which is uh, the silver bullet ending this. I think we'd all like to see that. It's about trying at least to try to restrain this, try to make steps and interventions where, where we can, and we will continue to work with health, with justice, and with others. I think it's, it's something that stretches across a range of uh, departments. There's no doubt that our young people today are under a greater level of pressure, particularly because of um, the cyberbullying side of things than has been ever in the past. I call Trevor Clark. Uh, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Minister, yesterday you had announced an additional five million for summer interventions and youth activity for children in Northern Ireland. Can you detail what the funding will be used for and how organisations can actually apply for it? Well, it is available now in terms of, first of all, on the, the, the latter point, uh, from five o'clock last night, uh, organisations were able to apply for that. I think that closes... Uh, on the 21st uh, of, of May, uh, just make sure I get the, the, the date right. There are a number of strands to that. So um, there is part of the programme is Access for All, which will enable, I think, 65 activity camps in Northern Ireland. There is a, um, a summer jam uh, programme, which is specifically, and the first is open to a range of uh, youth organisations, community groups, etc., to apply for that. Um, there's a second strand to that, which uh, will deal particularly with the church and uniformed organisations to provide support for them. On that basis, uh, there is a summer boost um, scheme which will enable um, particularly those working on the ground in youth settings uh, to have greater levels of support over the summer in terms of outreach, longer hours within youth centres, and also an opportunity for a fourth strand which will have a level of, of 
uh, material which can be uh, drawn down. And in terms of the, the impacts of that, it will cover a wide range of activities. Some of those will be sporting, some will be on the uh, creative arts side of things on it. Some we hope, as, as restrictions ease, will also then have much more of a feel of, of whole families and getting a level of interaction with adults uh, as well. So we believe that, that actually this will be something that, that uh, there will be something there for everyone on that basis, um, irrespective of where your interests lie. And I think given some of the pressures that our young people particularly have been under in terms of the COVID situation, to be able to provide this level of support, particularly over the summer, is, is, is critical uh, as we move ahead. Because I think a lot of our young people have, have suffered more, perhaps, than almost any other group within society. I call Trevor Clark. Thank the Minister for that answer, and I can hear the enthusiasm from the back benches there from uh, Mr Humphreys. And, and I know we all, all know these long since passed the scouts, but he's still very involved. I, I think this is very well, Minister, but can give an indication actually how much each of these groups will be entitled to apply for, or what size the fund is for each group? Well, I, I think from that point of view, the, the details, so for instance, in the access to all, uh, that is for non-EA uh, registered voluntary groups. Those can be, I think, up to £10,000 or depending upon the number of participants, possibly even up to £25,000. For those that are the locally area-based project funding on the summer jam, uh, that can be anywhere between uh, £6,000 to £60,000, depending upon the scale of the participants. For the summer boost, that can be up to uh, £15,000 uh, per programme. And for the fourth strand, which is the camp equipment grant, that can be individual applications, can be up to £2,500. So there's a wide range of, of availability that, that can be made uh, through that. I call George Robinson. Mr Deputy Speaker, can the Minister state when the next round of schools enhancement programmes funding will be available? Well, it, it's my intention to review progress. At the moment there are 72 projects which will be advanced in design under the second call to the school enhancement programme. I, I will then consider at that point whether to make a third call for applications as part of the overall uh, capital investment strategy, but SEPs themselves have been a very successful programme. So I suspect ultimately in terms of a call for another call for SEP, um, it's probably more a question of, of when at some point rather than if. I call George Robinson. Thank the Minister for his answer. Would the Minister look at prioritising schools such as Lima Valley High School in my constituency, which require facilities to ensure pupil health and fitness? when the funding becomes available? There will be. I mean, I know all politics is local, but I know that the members take a very strong interest in Limavati High, and indeed, along uh, with others, I was able to visit that and discuss with the, the, the school principal. There is competing demands for capital investment, and so whenever there is an, an SEP call is made, uh, then it will be on the basis of a, a competition between uh, all schools that, that apply. What I would say is the fact that uh, a range of schools are currently benefiting under the SEP programme should mean that their facilities are advanced to a stage, which means that while there's not a bar on them applying uh, again in terms of SEPs, at least it means that for other schools that haven't benefited are, are moved effectively, a better chance that it's up the ladder. It is also a case, I think, for any school um, that there is continuous engagement with the Education Authority um, and where action then can be taken, for instance, on minor works in the meantime. I know from having been in Carrickfergus yesterday. Uh, there is work, I think, going to be ongoing, for instance, on the uh, replacement of school windows within, uh, you know, within that campus within the next few months by EA. So, from that point of view, it's not neither or, but I think that uh, all applications, in terms of that, will be treated on their merit. They'll be scored according to the, the condition of what is needed uh, for the school. 
call Rachel Woods. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker. And my question is in relation to boards of governors and the relationship between them and the Education Authority. So can I ask the Minister what accountability mechanisms the Education Authority has for ensuring local boards of governors collectively and as individual members do indeed fulfil their stated responsibilities as trustees of public funding? I pay tribute, I think, to a lot of the work that's been done by boards of, of governors. Obviously, yes, they will be responsible in terms of training and ultimately accountable to the EA. And indeed, from a budgetary point of view, we'll have to operate within a, uh, a budget which uh, they are allocated on that basis. You know, I think from that point of view, if there are mechanisms where we can provide greater support and greater levels of accountability for boards of governors, I think that um, that, that will need to be taken where possible. I think we want to create a situation in which the responsibilities are taken seriously, but also that we don't create a scenario which, um, for boards of governors that it becomes uh, such a position which makes it so onerous for them to take it on that, that nobody wants to take on the role of a board of governor. I call Rachel Woods for supplementary. Thank you, and I thank the Minister for his answer. Could the Minister outline what powers the Education Authority has to sanction or remove uh, those boards or individual governors who fail to govern in line with the Education Authority's scheme of management, if any? Well, look, I don't have the details to hand, but I will write to the, the member with details of that. And I call Kelly Armstrong. Thank you very much. Uh, and Minister, it's Mental Health Week, as you know. Um, can you confirm what is the extent of monitoring undertaken by the Department of Education and CCEA on the extent of controlled assessments taking place in schools and the significant negative impact these are having on students? With respect to the, the, the member, we've given advice to schools on what assessments should be put in place. Indeed, there's no direct requirement for that. But there is no easy way in reaching a situation in which uh, qualifications which will be recognised um, not simply throughout the UK but worldwide have got to be based on a robust basis. They've got to be evidence-based. There is an absence of direct examinations um, at the moment in terms of 2021 uh, and to that extent uh, I think it is uh, there does need to be evidence-based uh, for the awarding uh, of that but we've made it very clear that for instance in terms of controlled assessment there is no compulsory nature of any controlled assessment. Indeed, the advice that both myself and CCA have been given is to limit that level of controlled assessment within schools, but schools have that level of power. And if, if, I think it's wrong to pretend that there is some very easy solution which simply enables qualifications to be awarded uh, without uh, a clear pathway of evidence to be able to support that. I call Kelly Armstrong for supplementary. Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. I'm disappointed by the Minister's response because I do believe that it's the Department of Education CCA's responsibility to monitor the impacts this is having on children. But speaking again about mental health and to pick up on a point that has been brought forward by uh, Ms Woods, it has come to my attention that there's a primary school in my constituency where the Board of Governors have not met, leading to stress for staff and parents. What action will you take to ensure the effective governance of primary schools and in particular to protect staff that are employed by the, the Education Authority? If the member, in relation to that, I'm not aware of the particular case in connection with that, if the member wants to uh, write to me with the details of that, we will follow that, that up. It's probably not appropriate then to discuss the individual case over the, uh, the floor of the, the Assembly, but we will pursue that up. I call Patsy McLone. Um. Thanks very much, Mr. Deputy Speaker. Uh, could, could the Minister give us an update on progress on the construction at Holy Trinity Secondary School, Cookstown, please? Well, in terms of the details of, of Holy, um, Holy, 
Holy Primary uh, Trinity, or Holy Trinity Primary secondary, sorry. Uh, I don't have the details directly to hand, but what I will do is then we'll get some details to the, the member and put that um, on the record. You appreciate, obviously, the topical question. Uh, on that, I don't have the direct details uh, to hand in relation to the school. That's grand. I thank the Minister for that. I don't expect him to have all the details in front of him for every potential question, so thank you. I call Melissa McHugh. Uh, Minister, my colleagues at the Education Committee this week were briefed in relation to your department's plans to introduce flexibility in the school's starting age, and there was some concern that it might not be possible to legislate within this mandate. Can you update us uh, in relation to um, how likely it is that families will have clarity uh, on that issue before the conclusion of this mandate? I very much, I mean, as we are all hoping as well, that the mandate runs to its full extent. I think what will be challenging, we will get, uh, we have to have consultation in terms of proposals. Uh, I think from that point of view, I think it is quite achievable. Uh, I think there is a level of risk, and I'm sure the committee and indeed everyone within this house will want to make sure that this is put, uh, put to bed uh, this term in that regard. So I believe it's quite achievable within this, this mandate, but it's something which I think we've just got to make sure that, that there's no steps which will take to elongate the, the process. Unfortunately, that is the end of our time that has been allocated to, to questions to the Minister for Education. I would ask members to take their ease for a few moments before we return to the debate on the protection of peatlands and woodlands.